This was the exact type of sleepy game that North Carolina needed as they started ACC tournament play on Wednesday night. Aside from that whole Armando Baycott rolling his left ankle thing. You are locked on Tar Heels, your daily podcast on the UNC Tar Heels, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, it's Thursday, March 9th, 2023. Welcome into the Locked on Tar Heels podcast, the only daily North Carolina show out there. I am your host, Isaac Shade, and I want to thank you for joining us on today's show. Now, before we get to Armando's ankle, and I promise you we're going to get to Armando's ankle, like it's coming, (laughs) but if there's one thing that could trumpet on today's show, it is Carolina doing what I have been asking them to do all season long. The biggest takeaway from this win over Boston College, get a lead, keep a lead, extend a lead. If you've been tracking with our show, you know that I've been talking about that a lot. And man, like that is what Carolina did. Survive in advance. Oh no, my friends, this was the Tar Heels thriving in advance. Survive in advance, thrive in advance. Let's get that straight. To that point, so let's break each of these down. Get a lead, keep a lead, extend a lead. Man, they like it's almost like I I prognosticated this thing yesterday. I guess I need to speak it more into existence because these two teams traded baskets for the first couple minutes of the game until it was 10 all. RJ Davis hit a three-pointer, common refrain of this game, by the way, just over four minutes in. To, to break that 10-10 tie. And then Carolina never trailed again. So the Tar Heels got a lead early in the game. And then second, keep a lead. I asked on yesterday's show, very specifically when we talked about this, I said, here's Coach Pat Kilby. Here's what I want to see happen. By the way, they won their basketball game that we were talking about. They're on to the final four. Congrats, Coach Kilby. Um, so anyway, on yesterday's show, I asked, I said that I want to see Carolina get a double-digit lead within the first 10 minutes of the game. And you know what happened? That. The Tar Heels went up 21-10 at 11-29, so like eight and a half minutes in, on a DeMarco Dunn three. And friends, you listeners, you watchers out there, would you like to posit a guess exactly how much time after that BC spent with the lead at single digits? Well, it's a trick question. The answer is zero. After DeMarco Dunn hit that three to give Carolina a 10-point lead, the lead stayed at a double-digit margin the entire rest of the game. So get a lead, check. Keep a lead, check. But what about extend a lead? Well, Carolina used multiple kill shot type runs to push out the lead. We already talked about It was tied at 10-10, and then RJ hit a three to give Carolina the lead for good. Well, at that point, from 10-10, Carolina went on a 20-4 run, meaning the score eventually changed from 10-10 into 30-14. And then coming out of halftime, that's where you have to take care of business again, and that's what the Tar Heels did. One more statement run to put this game away. They came out of halftime, went on a 15-2 run in the first four and a half minutes. 
That helped the lead balloon to 27, which was the biggest of the season against an ACC opponent, and that allowed Armando Baycott to go ahead and check back out and leave for the rest of the game. So what does all this mean? Get a lead, keep a lead, extend a lead? The best news of the whole thing? Well, now, because Carolina took care of business, they don't have to worry about closing. Remember, we we talked about after Duke. I don't think this Carolina team knows how to close, and I don't think they know how to extend a lead. Well, clearly they figured out something, at least against Boston College, about how to extend a lead. <laughs> but the thing is, you don't have to worry about closing because they closed in the first 10 minutes of the game. Closing can happen anytime, and I would rather it happen early. That's when you should execute, right out of the gate. Because if you execute early, you don't have to execute late. And that's when one missed play or one turnover or whatever can burn you. At the end of the game, I don't want to be sweating. I want the walk-ons in. I want it to be that. The second half of this game was boring. It was yawn. It was lazy. It was sleepy. And that's because the game was already over. It's like the second half of the 2009 National Championship. Carolina boat raced Michigan State, and it was awesome. But I don't even remember much about the second half of that game because Carolina was in so much control. That's what the Tar Heels need to do. And Boston College did some wonderful favors. Thank you, Earl Grant, because they played zone most of the second half. So Carolina just was content to sit back and run shot clock and then take efficient shots toward the end of the shot clock. Ultimately, the teams essentially just kind of traded baskets down the stretch and the lead just kind of hovered right around 20. I love it. I love a a nondescript second half because Carolina led 15 to two out of the gate of the second half. Boy, that's how this should be. Now, again, it's Boston College, whatever. But Carolina didn't do it against Boston College at home last time and they haven't done it against any other opponents in the ACC play this year either. So this is a big deal, big deal. Again, season high lead for an ACC game. Carolina led by as many as 27 points. And it was a season high against an ACC opponent for the final margin, which was 24 points. (laughs) Thank you to Justin McCoy for that tip slam with about two seconds left. I hope he doesn't get in trouble for that. And perhaps best of all, one of the other things we talked about on yesterday's show was watching the starters minutes because if you're going to play four if you if you need to win four games in four days you can't be running the starters ragged on day one unless you absolutely have to right it's just like because you got to win or you don't get tomorrow but the good news is that because of that lead only two starters played over 30 minutes that was Caleb Love had 35 and RJ had 31 the other starters were all under 30 And that's what you need. The bench played 58 of the available uh, 200 minutes in a game. About the math quickly. You've got two 20-minute halves. you got five guys on the court. That's 200 total minutes. (laughs) So the bench played just over a quarter of the available minutes. That's good. That's what you want. And, And I know that's probably more minutes than you would want for RJ or Caleb. But keep in mind, as I said a minute ago, A lot of that second half was Carolina just kind of throwing the ball around the perimeter against the zone until they needed to go into action. This game flew by. It was like an hour, 50 minutes. I think the, uh, the box score said the length was, let me check it again. Yeah. An hour, 50 minutes. Cause it just kind of went, there weren't a ton of fouls. 
Again, this game was sleepy and boring and perfect. You feel me? I love it. Well, coming up, we want to get into our Four Corners recap and our shady stat of the game. We'll do that in just a second. But first, I need to tell you that this episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Hey, we just passed the midway point of the NBA season, and now is the perfect time to download the FanDuel Sportsbook app, the number one sportsbook in America, because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app because it's safe, it's secure, and it's super easy to use. And then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores to how come Giannis keeps dominating for my fantasy team. That's right. Number one seed heading into the playoffs. Thank you very much. Plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with same game parlay. So don't miss the chance to get your no sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. Once again, that's FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn all about it. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. All right, friends, we are right on the cusp of Selection Sunday, so make sure you check out our brand new show on the Locked On Network, Locked On College Basketball, where we bring you everything you need to know about the college basketball landscape in one place. Check it out on YouTube and anywhere else you get podcasts. All right, Four Corners Recap. For those of you who might be new to the show, one of the things we do to recap every game is we honor Coach Dean Smith's Four Corners offense by doing part of our recap with four observations from the game that were impactful in some way or for some reason. So, number one, obviously this is where we got to go next. Armando Baycott's ankle. For those of you that might not have watched or didn't see it in totality, there was a sequence late in the first half where Carolina was getting a whole bunch of offensive rebounds. Speaking of which, I don't believe I've checked to see the numbers in rebounding for this game. Boston College had 26. Carolina had 33, uh, 10 offensive rebounds to seven. So it wasn't all that big of an advantage for the Tar Heels, um, but I guess they made a lot of shots, so didn't really need to, right? Rebounding numbers are sometimes deceiving. Anyway, Carolina was just playing a little volleyball, a bunch of offensive rebounds. Armando got one of those, came down, and in the process kind of rolled over his left ankle and then hobbled off the court pretty bad. There's about four minutes, 45 seconds left in the first half when he did that. At that point, he was out for the half. He did come back and start the second half. He said post game that he really wanted to help. He told everyone on staff he wanted to help give a boost and then hopefully, you know, get enough of a lead, which is exactly what happened. He checked out right after Carolina got up to that 27 point lead. And that meant he was able to be out for the final 14 27. That was the time stamp when he left the game. Now, as to tonight for Virginia, he said post-game that he would be ready, no doubt. You know this guy's a warrior. You know he's tough, so he's going to give it a go. You know Carolina has an incredible training staff. Um, you know, the strength with Jonas Serration and Doug Halverson as, as the main trainer, and so great stuff there. And obviously Carolina needs Armando in any game, but particularly if Carolina is able to get past Virginia tonight, Thursday, and it's NC State that's waiting, Carolina doesn't have anybody else for DJ Burns. You remember that dude? He is a beast in the post, just a big man, and Carolina needs Armando. So make no mistake, 
Carolina cannot win four games in four days without Armando Baycott's presence. So they have to have him. So hopefully uh, the ankle will go- miraculously heal overnight and uh, and he'll be ready to go on Thursday. Now, the funny part of this quickly <laughs> is I told my wife after the game, uh, hey, Armando Baycott rolled his ankle again. Uh, it wasn't good. He, he limped around a lot, played a couple more minutes, but not much. And uh, she had heard or she had seen the uh, his newest NIL endorsement with Crocs. And she so my wife, brilliant. She goes, oh, no, was he playing in Crocs? <laughs> Perfect. Maggie Shade, golf clap for you, my dear. Way to go. <laughs> anyway, that is four corners. Point number one, Armando Baycott's ankle. That is the storyline. And that'll be the storyline of the ACC tournament, because, of course, in a game where Carolina does everything else that you wanted them to do in this game this happens again, heading into a Virginia game. So um, anyway, four corners point number two, RJ Davis and Caleb Love, this much uh, talked about backcourt that has been up and down this whole season was great. Uh, A few too many turnovers for Caleb outside of that. I, everything great. They controlled the game. They were efficient shooting a combined 16 of 32 from the field, a combined seven of 14 from three. That's exactly 50% from both. They had 40 of Carolina's 85 points. I loved Caleb love was locked in defensively. He was disruptive. Uh, I counted at least three possessions in the first half where he did something important and different from each other in the first half whether it was knocking away a post-entry pass or um, just playing tight man-to-man defense and not like how often are we used to seeing Carolina guards beaten off the dribble and he wasn't having that. So um, love that. And then additionally on the other side, I love, man, Caleb attacking the rim is the best version of Caleb. There were, there were times on Wednesday night's game where he attacked the rim when, when at other times we've seen him settle. And goodness gracious, that's what he has to do. As for RJ, remember how he was so hot midseason once his, his shooting finger was better, took that tape off and he was doing good, but then rejammed it against, I think it was Syracuse, and then it just really slumped for a while? Well, remember back with me. Four games ago, we talked about RJ took that tape off against Virginia. So it's been, including that one, four games since he took the tape off. Virginia, Florida State, Duke, and now Boston College. You want to know how he's done from three in those games? Virginia, two of four. Florida State, three of seven. Duke, three of five. Boston College, four of six. That means since R.J. Davis took that tape off his finger, he is 12 of 22 from three. That is 54.5% from deep for R.J. Davis. So yes, the man is back and he is on fire. Be ye warned, ACC tournament foes. Here comes the man, R.J. Davis. Number three in our four corners recap. One of the things I loved about this game is that Carolina had so many contributors. Yes, I said it was R.J. and Caleb that had 40 of the 85 points, but, but so many different players did something. Just a couple examples of that. 10 different Tar Heels scored in this game, including 23 points scored by the bench. 11 different Tar Heels had a rebound. I love that. Seven Tar Heels had an assist. Just just when you're getting contributions of various kinds from different guys, that's it. It's not that everyone has to come in and be a scorer, but everyone has to come in and do something that is a winning play. 
remember as we've looked about um, like every game matters, every half matters, every four minute segment matters, every single play matters. And that's what you're trying to do. Again, what do I need to do for my role on this play? And when you're doing things that contribute, that's what helps. So Puff Johnson, DeMarco Dunn, Dontre Styles all played double-digit minutes in this game. DeMarco Dunn was two of four from three. Dontre Styles, two of two from the field, including a three. He had a really, really nice assist. I uh, can't even remember who it was to. Maybe Pete Nance. Um, but had this, it would have been an understandable mid-range jumper. I think it was around the free throw line, but just found a cutter getting to the rim. I really do think it was Nance. Tell, somebody tell me if I'm misremembering that. Um, but then had a beautiful dunk off of some of Carolina's best ball movement of the night, just breaking a press, just boom, 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 zipped down the court. Um, who Trim, I think Seth Trimble made that uh, bounce pass to him for that nice dunk. It was great. So, so many contributors love that. Fourth in the Four Corners recap, Leaky Black. I love our man, Leaky. He did so many good things on Wednesday night. This was his 154th game, continuing to set that new Carolina record. He was one of two from the field, just two shots, neither of which were a three-point attempt. He had six rebounds, four assists, zero turnovers, and a steal and a block. This, to me, is Leaky Black at his best for this Carolina team. I know there are times when he'll start shooting, you know, like that corner three, I'm super comfortable with him taking that. But, but on a night where other guys are doing it and he doesn't really have to step in. Like I, I thought, you know me, I am a leaky, like Stan, I'm a leaky apologist. I want leaky to be doing well, but I thought he took too many threes the other night against Duke. And so I, I don't think it has to be zero three, three point attempts, but one or two is probably about right. Um, because I think Leaky is most helpful to this team in terms of offense when he's getting to the rim. And he did that some on Wednesday night was attacking, but I, I like it when he is distributing. He hadn't had as many assists this year. This year in total, his assists have been way down from other years, but I love this four assists, zero turnovers. And, and part of that distribution is because Carolina didn't really have a true point guard, right? That's, that's not Caleb game. And so Leaky can be the one to do that really well. So love to see that. All right, shady stat of the game. It's the Pete Nance blockathon. Apparently, all of a sudden, Pete Nance has turned into a block machine. He had some beautiful blocks at the highest point. Uh, uh, you know, just met a guy at the top of their jump on Wednesday night uh, for Boston College, and they were beautiful and clean. Pete Nance, in his last four games... So it's the same in which RJ shooting has been getting back on track, has 10 blocks in the last four games, had four against Boston College, had four against Virginia and one against Florida State, one against Duke for 10 in the final three ACC games in the first game of the ACC tournament. Why is that interesting? Well, uh, outside of those 10 in the last 14 in the last four games, excuse me, he only had 19 other blocks all season long, meaning he's got 29 total and 10 of those are in the last four games. So he's got more than a third of his season total of blocks in four games. In fact, you know, 20 total ACC games. So this four-game stretch is three of those 20 in the ACC tournament game. In the other 17 ACC games combined, he had 10. 10 blocks. And he's got 10 in the last four. 
That is a shady stat of the game. Pete Nance, way to go. All right, friends, we need to move to our last segment of today's conversation, getting ready for the Virginia game, for a rested Virginia game, uh, Virginia team on Thursday night, 7 p.m. on ESPN. We'll do that in just a second. Okay, Carolina, quarterfinals of the ACC tournament. This is it, a quad one game they got to have and hopefully doesn't turn the previous Virginia win into a quad two game if Carolina can win this one. Oh, the net. Okay, anyway, uh, first off, before we get into the W2, W4, the what to watch for, the things we're looking at in this game, listen, Reese Beekman won Defensive Player of the Year. That's great. That's fine. I want Carolina to come out and show Reese Beekman who should have been the Defensive Player of the Year because you all know it's true, right? Yes, let me hear it in the comments. So the four things in the what to watch for for this game. Number one, Carolina played Virginia twice already this season, road and home. Quite frankly, you remember, they should have won both games. They won the game at, at, at home, but they should have won the game in Virginia, in Charlottesville. And that was without Pete Nance. He didn't play at all. And that was the game where Armando hurt an ankle less than two minutes into the game. So basically, almost beat Virginia, and maybe should have beat Virginia, on the road with no Pete Nance and no Armando Baycott, with Jalen Washington just getting back from injury. So it's time to win the season series. It's time to win this rubber match. Carolina is frankly a more talented team, more athletic. So what to watch for? Because that's what we're talking about. Carolina needs to go out and put it on them. Leave no doubt. Remember, Roy Williams' teams struggled against Virginia. Hubert Davis is 3-1 and one against the Cavs. They blew them out both times they played last year, including in the ACC tournament, by the way. And then they beat him at home. I think it was by eight this season. And should, like, so there's a very real possibility in which Hubert Davis could be four and zero against Tony Bennett is in his career. Well, we need to make it four and one in this game. So put it on him early, shut it down, get a lead. Say it with me, get a lead, keep a lead, extend a lead. That's what Carolina needs to do. Got to cut off the head of the snake with Kihei Clark. Uh, as you probably know, Leaky Black hasn't guarded him in either of this season's two matchups as he did last year because um, there are other guys for Virginia who are, are just frankly better offensive players this year than what the Cavs had last year. So um, again, don't expect to see Leaky on Kihei Clark. That'll be RJ most likely. And uh, we'll see what Carolina can do. Remember last time they shut down Ben Vanderplas, um, but didn't do that well in the first game. And part of that is because no Armando and no Pete. Number two, it's Mondo's ankle. Uh, we've already talked about it at good length, but clearly that is something to watch for in this game and maybe the biggest thing. How does it hold up? What, what effectiveness level is he at for this game? Because you know he's going to give it a go, right? Unless it's like broken and we didn't know or if it just balloons up or something, um, he's going to be out there. I th Like you go back to the national championship game last year, the dude was at like 60%, if that, like maybe 50 or 40 or something, and had a double-double. So Armando can play through the pain. Keep that in mind. And the nice thing is, against Virginia, you're not having to move often as quickly because it's it's deliberate and it's slow and it's plotting. So watch for that. How does Armando hold up? Number three, shooting. Remember, everything looks better when shots go down, and Carolina did that again against Boston College. So the Tar Heels kind of quietly are starting to shoot better all of a sudden. Have you noticed this? 
Not necessarily so against Duke and understandable with their length and athleticism. But against Boston College, they had another game of shooting over 35% from three. Carolina is undefeated this season when they do that. Against Boston College, it was 10 of 24, 41.7% from three. Is that right? That doesn't sound right. Yep, it is. Um, so that means, have you noticed this? Carolina has shot over 40% from three in three of their last four games. That's outside of Duke. That was the one they shot under. But they were over 40% against Virginia, over 40% on the road at Florida State, and over 40% against Boston College. Got to do that again. They were 10 for 22 against Virginia a couple weeks ago. You might not be able to shoot that well, but man, get to that 35%. And a lot of that, the reason that happened against Boston College is because Carolina attacked. They got downhill, and it opened things up. They got downhill early. 10 of the first tw- 12 of the first 15 points were scored at the rim against Boston College. That opened things up and Carolina started hitting from outside. So watch for that. How do shots fall? And if Carolina's not hitting from three, do they kind of force the issue or do they find a way to go attack and get fouled and get to the rim and get to the free throw line, excuse me. Number four, what to watch for. Will Carolina have an advantage over Virginia having already played a game? I think a lot of times um, we make... uh, what do I want to say? A lot of noise about the teams coming in like, oh, Carolina's going to be at a disadvantage because they already played a game. And there's probably a lot of truth to that um, because Virginia is coming in rested. They're coming in, you know, one of the things that happens when you play a game, sometimes somebody gets hurt, like Armando Baycott. We saw that, right? Um, but sometimes when you get back going, you do get into a little bit of a groove. And so is there some advantage for Carolina having already played in this tournament. I mean, they they came out on fire on Wednesday against Boston College. Can they do that again? That's something to keep an eye on. My hope is obviously yes, that they will, but we're going to have to wait and see what happens with it. Um, we, we know that, again, against Virginia, you don't have to be ready to run up and down a ton. I think that plays to Carolina's advantage as well. Um, and so uh, just, just keep your eyes on that, though. Um, is is Carolina's endurance throughout the game, particularly as we get to the second half. Now, quickly before we get out of here, I uh, want to check in on the bubble because obviously there's a lot of bubble teams in action right now. A couple bits of good news for Carolina. Texas Tech lost uh, to West Virginia on Wednesday. Texas Tech was below Carolina in most bracketology that you've seen, but this essentially takes them out of the conversation. So you don't have to think about it anymore. Another, Wisconsin uh, lost to Ohio State in their first game of the Big Ten tournament. Wisconsin had been above Carolina in a lot of the bracketology that we saw, but that was indefensible to me. But now we don't have to worry about it because Wisconsin loses this game and there's no way they should be above the Tar Heels now, regardless of even if Carolina loses to Virginia. However, there are still teams ahead of Carolina. Uh, Lunardi has been updating his bracketology throughout the night on Wednesday. So as I record, I'm recording after the game on Wednesday night. The first, uh, the last four in, excuse me, are Penn State, who has gotten those two lucky wins lately or else they'd be behind Carolina. So that's unfortunate. Rutgers, who is in a <laughs> tailspin, a downfall. We'll see how they play um, as they start Big Ten play on Thursday. Oklahoma State, who beat Oklahoma 
on Wednesday night. Joe Lenardi said that puts them in. I don't see it. I don't buy that. And then the last uh, of the last four of the last four in is Utah State. So we'll see uh, what all is going on with them. And then the first four out: Arizona State, Nevada, Carolina, and then Wisconsin. After their loss falls just behind the Tar Heels. So Carolina right now is kind of operating, at least in Joe Lunardi's bracketology, about three spots out of being in the tournament. Now, as I record right now, it is. Uh, close to midway through the second half of Arizona State's first game in the Pac-12 tournament. And they're playing Oregon State, who, by the way, if you don't know, is really bad. They're not like Louisville bad, but they're 11 and 20 on the season, 5 and 15 in the Pac-12. And this game is tied right now with 13 minutes left. So we're big Beavers fans right now. Go Oregon State, because if they knock off Arizona State, got to think the Wildcats fall um, Sun Devils, Wildcats, that's Arizona regular. Arizona State is the Sun Devils. You got to think they fall below Carolina if that happens. And then Nevada hasn't started conference tournament play yet themselves. So they'll get into action on Thursday, today in the afternoon. So we're cheering against Nevada, cheering against uh, Arizona State. You want to cheer against Utah State, um, Oklahoma State when they play again. I can't remember. I think they play Texas next in the Big 12 tournament. So Hook them. Let's go with that. And then you want to cheer against Rutgers and Penn State as well. All right, friends, we'll get right back to it on Friday's show, hopefully talking about another victory over Virginia and a matchup with either Clemson or NC State on Friday night. Again, I, I know it's hard, but we want to cheer for NC State over Clemson because that would be a potential quad one opportunity while Clemson wouldn't. So as hard as it is, cheer for NC State against Clemson. I know it hurts your soul as it does mine. Friends, that's it for today's episode. Thanks so much for hanging out with me. You can follow the show on Twitter, Locked on Heels. Follow me at Isaac Shade. You can email the show, LockedOnTarHeels at gmail.com. Would love to talk with you. Love to hear your recommendations for Heels of the Week. If you think about it, would love for you to leave some reviews on the show. That's how we get more people in, particularly if you're on Apple Music. That's where they really come in handy. Don't forget to subscribe to the show. We are so close to 5,000 subscribers on YouTube. It's within like 30 now. We're at like 4,970. It's going to happen. We're getting there. Smash the like button. Leave some comments. And for your next listen, check out our brand new show, Locked on College Basketball. I'm having a blast co-hosting it and would love for you to come be part of that community as well. You can find it on YouTube and anywhere else you get podcasts. Hey, folks, it's always a great day to be a Tar Heel, especially after a dominant victory like this. Want to remind you of that. And hey, until tomorrow, peace. <laughs>